Good morning. Um, I'm not much in introductions, except if I met you, I would know everything about you in probably five minutes, okay? Because I love human interest. I love to know the stories behind people's lives and who they are and why they are and where they're from and who's influenced their lives, etc. But when it comes to this thing about standing in front of people, too often it's trying to make that person seem like they're worthy to be heard. I may be a surprise letdown to some of you today. Okay? Like, ah, oh, we've got to speak. Oh, that's pretty lousy. Okay? There may be something you don't even remember about today. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I'm a friend of Hal Cooper's. We met in Iraq. We met within the distance of bombs going off in Mosul, being two miles from the Taliban. Um, that's where we met. And I am grateful that we had a chance to meet there and then, and that I have an opportunity to come here. And I was here with a friend, Tommy Hughes, uh, who was on that trip with us as well a few years ago to uh, speak to a small group of people. So I'm going to talk about some things today that may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that's okay. I love this age group. This is the group of the Who Am I? These are the who am I years. You were raised in a home, and a lot of you came to faith during those times, or did you? Because when you leave home, you have to find out, is this really mine? Is this thing I call my faith, is it really mine? Is it something that I want to embrace for me because I see that Jesus is really worth it, that he's enough? These are exciting years. And these are the years that you will discover you might find your spouse, you might find your career. Your career may be totally turned upside down because of these years. And you end up doing something completely different. I carry this with me. It's a little dog tag. It's a dog tag. It's what soldiers wear around their neck. I just put this on my bag. On one side, it's got my name, Steve. My name means the crowned one. It means to be honorable. And why do I carry this? I carry this because we forget so often who we are. And we need reminders of who we are. We need people in our life to remind us who we are. We need symbols to remind us who we are. And so when I walk into a store and the cashier has been very rude, am I going to be rude? Or, my name, am I going to be honorable? Am I going to treat her with respect and love and kindness? Am I going to flip it on its head because maybe I don't realize the truck that ran over her that morning? It's an opportunity to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the backside. Number 14. Now, I was an athlete. I achieved All-American status three times, but there's a billion people in China that could care less. Makes no difference to them. But I wasn't the kind of athlete that could wear 14. Those are your sexy athletes, okay? I was a big body guy. In fact, I've lost 87 pounds this last year. Basically a sixth grader. The sixth grader walked away from my life. Okay? So 
So I was a large human. But number 14 has nothing to do with sports. In April of 1912, the greatest ocean liner set sail from England to America, the Titanic. They said she was unsinkable. But once she struck the iceberg and began to sink, 20 lifeboats were lowered. 19 rode away, but one, lifeboat 14, rode back into harm's way. to the screams, to the shouts, to the dying, to save a few. That is uncommon. I carry this because it reminds me to be honorable. But it reminds me that God called me to an uncommon life. He called you to the same life. There's nothing different between you and me in terms of the call on our life. It may look different, our methodologies may be different. Our locations may be different. But God called us to an uncommon life. Are we ready for that life? Are we allowing ourselves to be discipled in that life daily? Now, you may not like this, but discipleship is not a weekly Bible study for one hour. That's better than nothing, okay? Discipleship is a life-on-life, day-to-day, life-going-forward process. I sit down with guys at a table, and they disciple me, and they don't even realize it. They bring me into new truths every single day that changes my, proje- my trajectory of life because I've come into contact with what Jesus is all about. And in that process, they remind me. If you have no one in your life doing that, you go sit on their doorstep until they come out and answer your call. You beg them to pour into you. And you go find someone younger than you and you pour into them. I travel to hard places. I was in a country and 12 pastors came to meet us. They just closed down this church building that we were in because three blocks down the way was a new mosque. And they closed this down because of building restrictions. Right. And I asked them, I said, you've come from other countries, you've come from other places to meet with us, and you know if they walked in here that you would go to prison. Why would you do that? said, because we know that if you know our story in America, we'll never be forgotten. That's the power and that's the cloud of the church in America still to this day. That if we know them, the world will not forget them. But you will find very few institutions in America that takes time to pray or put flags up on their ceiling for the persecuted church. They're a part of our life. They are a part of our family. And 85% of this thing we call the church lives in the hard and hostile places. I said, tell me about America. Oh, we love America. I said, great. 
but. What? I said, there's always a but. Tell me what that is. Teach me. They said, you are this close to being who we are, and you have no idea. And worse than that is you're not prepared. Because you do not disciple your people. You have them congregate, listen to one person, and that is a part of discipleship. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This is incredibly important. So I am not trying to short sell that at all. But if we don't take this, apply it to our life, and then allow God to spill that out of our life onto those that we meet every single day, then we're missing something. You see, in 85% of the world, this is their day. Today I die. Today I go to prison. Today I have nothing to eat. My education is taken away from me, and I will lose my family legally. That is what they face every single day. That is their world. We do not experience persecution here. You think you can't pray in the school? I was a teacher. I prayed every day. I may not have prayed out loud, but I prayed every single day. I prayed for every one of those students. And in class, those students who didn't even know Jesus would ask me questions. I wrote everything down. I handed it in to the principal every day. This is what I was asked. This is how I responded. There you go. They loved me. Because there were no paper trails. It was professional. You see, in the places that I travel, they say this. Look, you don't live well in your freedom. We don't have those same freedoms, but we have the freedom to tell people about Jesus every single day. It's that we understand the consequences. We understand the gravity of it, and we're willing to pay the price. 2015, Grants Pass, Oregon, Umqua Junior College. I realized that seven years ago, and you were really young. You're young now, but you were really young. Nine students were gunned down. Who talked about that in America? A radical extremist went into a junior college and gunned down nine people. Did he specifically target Christians? No, but he specifically asked if you were a follower of Christ. And when you said yes, he shot you right through the head. But we don't talk about that. My question for you is real simple. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Some of you guys out there, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, let me tell you something. According to the Scripture, that implication right there is that we are afraid. Fear is in every single one, but he gives us this. He says, but perfect love casts out fear. See, fear dissipates when we step into Christ and we discover more of him. And he builds confidence in our life. And so we look at the future and we say, yes, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's in me. And I don't know that I've been discipled enough to be able to stand up to the things that are coming, people. They're coming. 
and you better look on the horizon. And how do you know if you're prepared? I don't really know how to answer that. Michael Jordan, basketball. He dribbled a ball every day. He shot free throws. He did a few other things. He made passes. But the thing that always sort of caught me was this. There was seldom a game that he wouldn't do something so spectacular that he would look like this after a shot. It amazed him that that was in him. But what did he do? He discipled himself in the basics and the fundamentals of basketball. When put into a situation, he performed at a level that even himself, even he was surprised. You will never know until pressure is applied what's really in you. 2018, I'm in a country. There was a man, he's affectionately known as Brother Andrew. He's a dear friend, he's 94 now. He's all five foot seven. He's courageous beyond belief. 1957, he began to smuggle Bibles into the Eastern European blocks. Some of you might have read a little book called God Smuggler. If you haven't, read it. It's about him. And so he took me into a place where there's 19 terrorist organizations because there is a church there. And so we would go to those churches and we would go to the Christian school surrounded by 19 terrorist organizations to encourage them and to be with them. Not to fix them, not to tell them what we could do for them, but to just be with them. And then we would go meet with terrorists. Walked into a room. There were 12 AK-47 surrounding the room. This was my first time. Now, I was smart enough to know this. Don't say anything. Like, I don't know the culture. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just sitting there. We came back another time, three months later. And it was just this man who was the head of a terrorist organization. He began to trust us. And then we went back again six months later, and he introduced us to his sons, sign of trust. And then we went back again, and he introduced us to his grandson, trust. And every time we were with him, we were able to share the gospel in creative ways. We were able to pray with him in the name of Jesus, which in their language is Esau. And then Andrew couldn't go back. So a friend of mine who's a doctor in that area and another friend from England, we went in to see him. And I put my arm around him and I said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. I said, before we leave here, can we pray about something together? He said, why? I said, because these two guys here, we don't live in the same area. But our love grows for each other because we pray for each other. But we pray about something together. And we love you. And you're our friend. 
And he knows that we don't agree with him about anything. And I said, we want our love for you to grow. I said, now, do you believe that God can visit someone in a dream or a vision? And in the Quran, it talks about that. So he has to say yes. He goes, yeah. I said, well, then why don't we pray that the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of England, the Prime Minister of, of, this, of this country that abuts you, and this whole area here, the Muslim leadership, that Jesus, that God would send Jesus. I don't say he's his son. Not there yet. But he would send Jesus to show them as a peacemaker, because they believe he's a peacemaker, that he could show them the way of peace. Do you think we could do that? He's like, I said, why don't we do that now? And he stands up and he puts his arms up. He prays so beautifully. I mean, their hands are outstretched. And so I put my arm around him. This is, I'm just, I hug everything, okay? So I just grab him around the neck. And that's what we prayed. And I take it a little bit further that Issa would show them that he is the embodiment of all truth and he didn't shoot me. He hugged me. He kissed me a thousand times. I have met with heads of state here in the United States because I said, I think I'm better not in jail. So is what I'm doing going to send me to jail? I just want to be ready for that. They said, well, don't do this, this, and this. And I said, I don't do those things. This is what we do. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I said, okay. Did he fall on his knees and say yes to Jesus? No. But we don't cease to pray for him. And people have asked me here, why would you meet with a terrorist? We'd rather shoot him. I said, because if we're the only ones in the entire world that have access to those people, why wouldn't we? My heart was hostile to God, and He sent people to me. Why would we not go if God gives us that kind of favor? I have a little thing on my computer. It's a little file that says funeral. I'm single. I've never married. I have no kids. But I want my siblings to know, hey, that thing's updated every time I take a trip. Because I don't know if I'm coming back. And I can smile at that. I don't plan on dying. When I was three, I was to die from double pneumonia. When I was five, six, and seven, I was four scump. I was crippled. I was supposed to die. When I was 13, 55 years ago, I was run over by a train. I had 24 to 48 hours. I have faced death. God is bigger than your fears if you'll say yes. I am not a hero. I don't know that I'm courageous. I want to be courageous. But more than that, I want to be obedient to the opportunities that are in front of us every single day. Every single day. I know a ton of people. My Rolodex is 
It's not Rolodex. My phone. It has got thousands of names in there. And people say, well, how do you meet these people? I said, it starts with hello. It's not that hard. Say hello. Get to know who they are. I was in northwest Arkansas this last week. I walked by a guy. I put... I just finished the meeting. I put some stuff in the garbage. I turned around. I saw a guy reading a book. I said, hey, tell me about your book. We talked for three minutes. He goes, you got time to sit down? I said, sure. We sat for 45 minutes. He looked at me. He goes, do you have time this week to have lunch with the staff of, my chur- of the church I got in? I said, yeah, love to. Love to. You say hello, it'll change the world. It'll change the lives of people who are around you. You step into that hello with loving them and caring about the things that they care about and serving and sacrificing the things that are necessary in their life to advance them. The gospel will have an opportunity. Many years ago, I had young men come to my home all the time. I had 100 guys live in my house over a 20-year period. That's a month to two years. But on Sunday nights, before I ever did any of that, I had young guys come to my house. We'd talk about Jesus. The game plan was real simple. I will never talk to you about Jesus outside of this Sunday night unless you bring it up to me. Because I'm not here to spiritually throw up all over you. You know what I'm about. So if you want to talk about it, pursue me on it. 12.30, Tuesday night, school night. The stud from the school. Tall, handsome, great athlete. Comes to my house. I was in bed. I went to the door. I said, do your parents know where you are? He goes, yeah, they're fine. I said, okay. He goes, I, I, I just have a question. I said, well, ask. He said, why do you love us? I looked at my watch. 12.45, school night. I said, well, why do you think I love you? He said, well, we've been talking, and, and, and like, you know what we're about. We're not, we're not really stand-up guys. We don't treat girls right. We don't honor our parents. We don't really conduct ourselves well in the classroom. But we think it has something to do with Jesus. I said, well, I hope so. He said, can Jesus change me to love people the way you love them? Can he forgive me the way you seem to forgive us? Because if he can, I want that. It begins with hello. Whether it's here or whether it's abroad. And so we went into one country and we'd been meeting with another man who was a terrorist. He's all this big. He's an intellectual. He's the interior secretary. 
And we walked into this common area, and there were 30 people there. And there were 20 people in his office, and the door was open. And he has a patch, and he saw us, and he went a lot louder than that. And everybody left. I'm like, they all think we're a big deal right now. This is kind of cool. We're not. He goes, and we go in and we sit down. And I'm next to him. And again, there's certain things in certain parts of the world that some of you guys would be really uncomfortable with. Because even though I know, I mean, that's still uncomfortable to me a little bit. So he grabbed my hand and he just rubs my finger right here for 45 minutes. It's a sign of compassion and friendship. And he's just rubbing my hand, and I'm just like, this is just weird. <laughs> you know, I'm a hugger. I love hugging people. I love telling people I love them, and it's just like, odd. <laughs> and at the end of that time, we asked him if we could pray for him in the name of Isa. And I walked over to him, put my hands on his shoulders, and I patted his face, and I said, you know, we love you. You are our friend. Again, we don't agree on anything. And he buried his face into my chest, and he wept. Why? Because I'm an American and I'm a Christ follower and he never ever dreamed that he would hear that somebody who embraced as an American, as a Christ follower would tell him that we are friends and that he is loved. I would give my life to have those opportunities. Why would I walk away from it? Is it my responsibility that he falls on his knees? No, but we have communicated to him the gospel. And it's his responsibility. But if no one goes because of fear, because of wanting to have a certain kind of a life, then we have missed the boat and we have missed the opportunity. I sat with a young woman the other day because a young guy that we're sending overseas to do these things called courier trips, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. He's an engineer, and he wanted me to meet this girl who's an engineer. She's a mechanical engineer. She is not bigger than a minute. And so we sit down, and she tells me how she lived in Malaysia, in Canada, in Houston, Texas, because her father was in the oil industry. She said that she was marked when she was 14 or 15 years old because her American pastor in Malaysia was martyred. She said the church covered it up, Americans covered it up, and the Malaysian government covered it up. But on the side, he was illegal because he was meeting with Muslims underground, seeing them come to Christ and baptizing them. They know they will be killed if they're found out. 
radical extremists found out and they killed him. And so she wanted to go into the CIA. I looked at her, I said, are you going to karate chop me right now? I mean, come on. I mean, she, and she said, no. And she sat down her sophomore year after having applied to the CIA with a CIA female operative. And she went through what it is to be in the CIA. And this is what the thought was in her mind. Die for my country, which I love. Die for Jesus. And she went home and tore her paperwork up that day. And as she tells me this story, a tear runs down her face. So I went home that day, Steve, and I asked God where he could send me that I might die. I almost started to cry. It's all I could do was to hold that, to see this sweet 23-year-old, your peer, premeditatively sit down and make a decision. She couldn't tell me in the first hour and 55 minutes where she would go. At the two-hour mark, she said, I trust you. I'll tell you where I'm going to go. There's a great likelihood that she'll either be sexually assaulted or killed. You do not romanticize these things. It is a premeditated decision. Esther in the Old Testament made a premeditated decision because what she decided to do should have cost her her life. Daniel made a premeditative decision that should have cost him his life. You do not go because it seems romantic. You do not go, go because it is a star on your mom's refrigerator. You go because you've been called. But you go just like an 18-year-old going into the military or going to an academy that you're signing your life on the line, that you will give your life for that cause. The people that go overseas, yes, some of the places maybe not be as hostile, but they're going to leave here. They're going to identify with a people group. There are billions that have never heard the gospel. They have no opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.13 says this, And seeing the courage of Peter and John, and realizing that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled. And then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What are the identifiable, distinguishable characteristics of your life that sets you apart every single day of having been with Christ? What are they? It can't be because you said you went to a Sunday school class. Are you courageous enough to live for Him? To die for Him? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. It is a mystery. We are dead 
But the mystery is we are alive. How are we going to be alive? When I came to Christ as a 17-year-old, I sat down with a man and I said, I don't know if I know how to pray. I was squeaky clean. I mean, I did all the things they said you can't do. I could never understand sin. And one night, it hit me like a thunderbolt. And I understood it. And God flipped my heart. And I said, but I think I found something to die for. But more importantly, I think I found the thing that's worth living for. And I want to live it well. Regardless of what it will cost. It hit the school headlines. Ridgeway finds security in God. It spread like wildfire. I had teachers who hated me and teachers who loved me. I had friends who loved me who now hated me. I went to my 50th class reunion the other day. It was magnificent. I had people walking through the door saying, I must talk with you. What happened to you then has happened to me now. The decisions you make in your youth, they will bear fruit. It'll either be bad or it'll be good. What do you want it to be? You want to go to your 50th? If God grants you life, I never thought I'd make it past 30 years old. The decisions you make now will bear fruit and you will have a chance to see that. Not all of it, but you will have a chance to see some of it. Monica has chosen to give her life overseas. That doesn't mean it will be taken, but it will not be an easy life. She could go to Amazon and make $200,000 a year as a mechanical engineer at 23 years old. Live the American dream. I want to tell you something. The American dream is not the gospel. And I'll tell you, one of the, the fruits of discipleship is this. It's what do you do with your wallet? Don't wait till you're 40. What are you doing with it right now? I sat with this guy at the table, and Monica's sitting there, and she's raising money to go overseas. She wasn't asking me for money. I told her, I said, I'm in. Invite people into your story. Don't ask them for money. God will change their heart. God will put it in their heart like he did with me this morning. This had nothing to do with why we met. But I looked at the guy that brought it. I said, hey, you go find 10 people. You bring them into your house. and You tell them exactly what this is going to be about. And you serve them cake or ice cream or whatever you're going to do. And you tell those 22, 23-year-olds they have a chance to, save the, to, 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 to serve the world and God's church and evangelism, discipleship, all of that. There's not one of them that can't afford $25 a month. They just don't need to go have coffee once a week. There's a way to go and to be a part of this. Whether you're a giver, a goer, whether you're somebody that's pouring into somebody that's going to be going there, whether you go to just encourage the people on the field, there is a way. Do not let what you're involved with right now be corrupted because of the American dream. It is the complete opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
The gospel of Jesus Christ is about love and compassion. It's about sacrifice and service. It's about laying your life down every day and finding this magnificent beauty of Jesus, that he is enough. As I stood with a woman in India, took six guys over there, and it wrecked them. And this woman sat down and said that her husband had been accused of sexual assault. He was a pastor. It's a common thing. He was brought into the courtroom. It was packed. The judge opened it up, and he said, uh, there's no charges. There's no witnesses. I can't. And the room erupted. He slammed his gavel. 15 years in prison because the judge thought he was going to be killed. So her husband went to prison. She has five kids. And she wept. We asked how her husband was doing. She said, he's thriving. He has a captive audience. He's sharing the gospel with 50 to 100 men every single day. He's, he's baptizing them. He's discipling them. And she said, and we're committed to this, that if we never embrace outside of these bars of this prison again, we're committed to this. Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is enough. I want to read you this. I'll read it everywhere I go. In the mid-70s, the KGB in Moscow picked up an underground Baptist leader whom they suspected of printing illegal scriptures on a homemade press. They beat and tortured him to find out the, wor excuse me, the whereabouts of the press. But he uttered not a word. In desperation, they brought in his 16-year-old son. They said, we will beat him to death in front of you unless you tell us where it is. Immediately, the man began to waver. This was too much. How could he watch his precious son die? The blows began to descend. Crunch of bone and screams of agony. These were the sounds that went straight to his soul. And he was just about to cry out, Stop! I'll tell you, save my son. When suddenly his boy cried out in the midst of his pain, Dad, don't give up. I can see Jesus coming for me. And Dad, he's beautiful. That's what 85% of the body of Christ looks like. You can either sit back, follow the American dream, or you can leverage that American dream for the gospel here and the gospel there. Ask him, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Thank you.